This is the Everything EV Podcast by EV Powered. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything EV Podcast, a weekly show that brings you the latest news, views and opinions from every corner of the EV industry. I'm your host, Charlie Atkinson, and in these episodes, we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel. So whether it be cars, bikes, boats or even planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage, and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to receive every single episode as soon as it's released. And please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. This week, I speak to Chris and Julie Ramsey, the husband and wife team that are attempting to drive from the magnetic North Pole all the way down to the South Pole in a fully electric Nissan Aria. Along the way, Chris and Julie will travel 17,000 miles across several regions and continents, battling extreme conditions through the Arctic and North, Central and South America before crossing over into Antarctica. In partnership with Nissan, this epic mission will aim to spread the word of electric vehicles and sustainability. And Chris and Julie join us here today to tell us all about the journey so far. So you're in Vancouver, obviously, at the minute, and appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with me today. So before we jump into the, the whole purpose behind this mission and everything you guys have been up to, could you just give us a bit of an update as to, to where you are now, how you've been getting on and, and the, the journey so far? We are currently in Vancouver. Um, and we, we started, we started, um, we left the Magnor 1823 magnetic North Pole location on the 29th of March. Yeah. So, um, so we left there and we traveled through to Cambridge Bay, down to Yellowknife, down to Edmonton and Banff and, 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 um, Jasper area. And now we're, now we've reached Vancouver. So yeah, we've been probably into this journey for about a month now, yeah. about a month. And yeah, it's just been incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, we've come from the extreme cold, you know, and the harsh kind of like weather conditions up in the north. Of minus 39. Of minus 39. And so now we're in like plus 20, are plus we? Plus 20s. And you might not be able to see Chris's face, but I caught a bit of sun yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> just from the Vancouver sun. So yeah, so we've kind of gone from the two extremes and um yeah, it's just been absolutely incredible. Do you want to add anything to yeah, that? Yeah, no, it's great. And it's kind of a, the, the changing environments because we're obviously we're up in the Arctic and it's kind of the vast expanse of nothing. Um, essentially, to, to being so alone in that sense, to yeah. be here now in this urban environment yeah. in Vancouver. Yeah. Such, again, they say poles apart. They are differently. They're just so poles apart. So huge, huge um, contrast. it's great to be here. Yeah, and it's nice to be on civilization, on tarmac, yeah. on safe land. So uh, <laughs> there's no risk of going through the sea ice or into a lake or anything so um it's a bit yeah. of comfort there isn't it yeah but just in that short space of time we've um yeah we've just had massive contrast in terms of uh, terrain and environment so yeah and i'm sure there's going to be a lot more coming your way as well but um so you said you've been going for a month now roughly i know this might be subject to change and depending on how you guys get on but how long should this expedition take really from start to finish yeah. So the, the Higgs position itself is planned to take 10 months. So been a month in, we're looking at about another nine months. And what we kind of say to people is that's not anything to do with it being driving in an EV and the charging infrastructure ends up that. It's, we have to be, we have to travel in the Arctic in summer, um, in, in, the, in the winter stroke coming into the summer area. So we, we have to be in the Arctic around about March, April time, which we were, um, and we need to leave 
um, in April because of the, the, heat, the warming temperatures which we experienced um, on the ice road. And then we can't go into Antarctica until December. So December is the summer expedition season for Antarctica when the weather kind of calms down and people can go in. So we're actually limited by, we're effectively chasing the summers in the two regions. So we're limited by the, by the times when we can go in. So it's, it's 10 months, but it's 10 months because of those factors, yes. um, which means we get the, you know, eight, nine, eight months in between to kind of explore and just explore the countries, the continents, the people, the cultures, and all these amazing uh, electric vehicle projects, et cetera. So. Yeah. yeah, to visit all these individuals, communities, initiative projects, and um, to learn what's happening out there and to shine a bit of a spotlight in all these kind of people who are doing good in the world and um, taking action and um, contributing to the the um, climate change problem that we're having today. So we've already experienced a few at the moment. We had the um, pleasure of being invited to visit a mine in Kamloops just a couple of days ago, which was absolutely amazing. I mean, it's not every day you get to go and visit a mine. And the reason we were invited is because the mine has um, started to electrify their vehicles. Yeah, well, underground vehicles. Underground vehicles. So we're talking about huge dumper trucks, huge kind of pick, what's it, dumper shops? Kind Dump of trucks, uh, loaders. Loaders, and honestly, these are these vehicles are humongous, and we, they're electric. Yeah, and we thought just, we had big tires. These guys have got, like, you know, the tires are bigger than us. It's, yeah. you know, taller than us. It's insane. And um, to understand, you know, their, their, um, their inspiration, their vision for why they're going electric underground, um, how they operate, like what kind of size batteries they use, how to do the battery swap, and and um, just just understanding firsthand from these yeah. guys like what's happening in the, the mining world and how they're transitioning. Yeah. So that's super super exciting. And then we also got to visit the Harbour Air, which yeah. is they're in Vancouver. And so we went to see um, Harbour Air, who have basically since 2019 have been working on an electric seaplane. Mm. And so these guys showed us the plane and it's been going, let's say, since 2019. They're hopefully having it operational in, in 2025, fully certified. So we've got to see this plane and learn all about the plane and how they operate it. And the fact that um, there's a lot of big push for people converting classic cars mm -hmm. into electric. And they're already doing that with their plane. So this plane was from 1950. And it turns out it's, it's far better to upscale their existing planes that they know work. Um, and convert it into an EV. So that's what they're that's what they've been doing. So, so, so these are just some examples yeah. of some of the places that we're going to be visiting within that ten month yeah. period from the Mag North to the geographical south pole. So a bit like you're doing is ed educating people about and showcasing the maybe the not the normal stories and normal things that people hear about. Yeah. That's kind of what we're doing as we travel through for this like yeah. you know this eight months yeah. is finding all those cool stories and those cool individuals and just sharing them. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's going to be the adventure of a lifetime. Now, we'll come, we'll come back on to the, the expedition just a little bit, but I just yeah, want to talk yeah. about how you guys got to where you are today and where this whole sort of journey for you individually started. Because how do you how do you get into these sort of mammoth exhibitions? Where where does that journey for you begin? It, it kind of starts by accident, pretty much, like like a lot of things in life. I mean, I we, we're both from Aberdeen in Scotland, and... Um, I was just working in my office one day and and looking at renewable energy side of what my company uh, I worked at and and this sand leaf advert popped up and I was like electric cars being a big car nut myself and I was like electric cars and there's like probably a lot of people out there today still thinking 
yeah, right, you know, these things, they won't go very far. What's it like? You know, there's no charges. It's a curiosity. Yeah, just curiosity. So I borrowed one from a local dealer to go and find out more and just drove around the whole of the UK um, over a long weekend. Had an absolute nightmare because there was like 60 charges in, in the country at that time. Um, dangling charging uh, cables out of hotel windows and all this stuff. And, and that I shared on social media. And that's kind of how the journey began. It was it became a hobby for a while, doing all these weird and wonderful adventures. And then we did the Mongol rally in 2017. We drove a 30 kil uh, thirty kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf from London to basically southern Siberia, 10,000 miles in 56 days. Still came back married, which is what people think is probably the biggest the biggest accomplishment out of that yeah. whole trip. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of people um, kind of doubted us back then. Um, and we didn't know ourselves. No one had driven a car further than their local town or village. So to take it from Aberdeen to southern Siberia was just like a mammoth challenge back in 2017 mm. where from turkey onwards there was no public um, no, no infrastructure so um so we had a hoot we had a, a great adventure we succeeded we got there we got to the village in live at a huge party we celebrated and uh we we always say that i mean from turkey onwards we were we basically just used our two-pin charging cable like a three-pin plug to the uk yeah and just basically went up to people and asked them if they'd be kind enough to plug us in and and I think you came up with this phrase, but it's kind of like um, it's just saying that we're we're always powered by the kindness of people, people along the way, and that and that's literally it's 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 happening here in Canada. Yeah, you it's know? happening again, and it's quite. I think electric vehicle adventuring is quite a unique type of venturing because obviously it forces you to stop, it forces you to charge, and then forces you to interact with people, hmm. and um, that's the unique thing about this journey is that if we were doing it in a normal combustion engine vehicle you would just fill up your fuel tank and off you go you wouldn't yeah. need to speak to anyone you know everything's contactless nowadays but this this really the car really is connecting us with the, with people, with, people yeah. with communities and i mean the car attracts a lot of attention anyway doesn't it yeah. <laughs> we're, we're meeting people every day we're sharing our stories every day we're chatting to people every day and we're absolutely loving yeah. it um, but, but that's how we got going i mean literally it was just literally uh, an advert online yeah. and and that's how it all sparked and we're sitting yeah, here today um it, it's a bit surreal to be on it to be quite honest isn't it it's like yeah. we're, we're doing it i mean it's been five years I think. five years planning so yeah five years he came up with the idea and the concept and um it's come to fruition now we're on it so it's a bit surreal and mm. being here in vancouver being in this event and just everything that's happened it's all it was all a bit surreal and yeah but yeah. we're on it to pinch yeah. yourself something. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I bet you do. I know. I can imagine. But just, just on that, then, how did this? Obviously, you're representing Nissan with this, with this trip, and that's how, obviously, I heard about you guys and what what you guys yeah. are doing. So, how did that sort of partnership come about? Where did, yeah, where did that all begin? Yes, I mean, I, being Leaf Leaf owners, we still have our our eight year old twenty four kilowatt hour Leaf sitting on our drive at home. Oh, wow. um, so we we are genuine. A lot of yeah. people think, oh, you're you're sponsored by Nissan, so that's why you you know. But we're genuinely Leaf owners, mm -hmm. and we have been you know, for that eight years. Our first EV was a Nissan Leaf, so, so and we still so we yeah, still we have still it. Have so, that. but we um, when I first came up with the idea, um, and and looking on my bedroom wall, there's a huge map on our on on our bedroom wall, and I kind of take inspiration from that. And we I I came up with the idea of the project. Um, scoped it out with a company called Arctic Trucks who do polar expeditions to see if we could make that possible. They agreed. Um, I did actually approach Nissan at the time because um, of the great relationship I have with the UK and Europe. 
Um, and at the time, this was what, they like, say, five years ago. So either the area wasn't around or it wasn't able to be spoken about um, at that time. So um, it wasn't something we can move forward with, with Nissan at the time. So I looked out to the market and then we obviously had that strange time in our world um, with the pandemic and various other things, which delayed everything. Um, and then it was a chance meeting um, Fully Charged Live. It's a huge renewable energy tech show, um, EV tech show in, in the UK. I was on stage giving some talks and um, Tommaso, the, Tommaso Volpe, the head of motorsport, was was on the stage and we started having a conversation on the stage and then took it off stage to have a chat and the rest is history. I mean, we it was literally a chance meeting and, and, and the area being around at that time, which was just perfect for us because it was it was like it was meant to be. It kind of came full circle mm -hmm. and wanting to work with Nissan full circle we're then working with Nissan um, and, on the project and Nissan are like the pioneers of electric vehicles they're the first that came out you know yeah. decade ago with the, the Nissan Leaf is one of the you know biggest I think fastest selling yeah biggest on the EV in, world. in the world so it, it just kind of all made sense you know and their ethos and our ethos our missions are all aligned and it just felt so right working with Nissan yeah. I, I was super delighted to be working with Nissan and and having the aria and having experienced the aria and and we, for example it's just had a health check just now in vancouver so it's the first health check that it's had since it's been bashed had the, and had the punishment, had in the the punishment of the arctic and um no word of a lie it's had what a little bent washer <laughs> wasn't it was it was a response it was a bent washer but everything there was no repairs or upgrades or anything needed to be done it's it's a machine it's wow. so robust it's so reliable mm -hmm. and it's i think it surprised all of us at just how well that car has performed because mm -hmm. it had a, honestly if you see some of the footage and the way that we've been driving it yes. up in the arctic it had an absolute beating mm -hmm. because you can imagine there's no roads there's all tundra rough tundra so you're constantly yeah the suspension is getting con yeah. continuously being like um I mean tested I think Nissan's, like Julie said, Nissan's ethos is kind of like, is to dare what others, dare what others don't, you know, dare, dare to do, do what, what others don't. don't. And, and literally that's what we do. Yeah. And and it shows that they they live that by basically supporting, basically us getting involved with a project yeah. like this, because yeah. this is, you know, the area is their, their brand new flagship EV. They've, you know, they haven't brought out, brought out an electric car. And, and obviously they've had the, the EV and EV 200 and things, but haven't brought out a car since the Leaf. So to mm. put that faith in that car and us is quite yeah. is is pretty daring and it's pretty bold. It so it's pretty and good to do. The thing is, nobody knew how it would turn out. Like, we didn't know how the car would perform in the Arctic. No one's been there. We were going to places where no civilization goes, let alone an electric vehicle goes. So anything could have went wrong, whether it be electrics, the battery, you know, the car itself. It was just nobody knew. So we're, we're totally not you know we're blind. I don't know blind in it, but just the whole unknown aspect of it but um but other than that one accident that you have hitting a rock boulder yeah um the car performs superbly so so credit to the car itself and like i say and credit to, to nissan. nissan yeah we're for, we're um, eternally grateful for nissan and, and all our partners are involved in this yeah, project so yeah everybody's putting a lot of faith into us yeah just to touch on the car then obviously i've driven the nissan aria a couple of times we've done reviews on it on our channel and but I, I'm assuming you're not driving the Nissan Aria I've driven. It must have been modified in in some sort of way. So can you can you talk about that at, at all and how it's been sort of prepared and modified for for this journey? So I mean the 
if from driving the area yourself, I mean, mm -hmm. literally, if you got into got into our area, you wouldn't know it was any different. So interior, it's all the same. The the actual stock car hasn't been changed. So in the battery on our on our vehicle, the battery, the drivetrain, the suspension, the and this is the again homing back that point about how reliable the car's been. The suspension on the car on our car is stock. It's the same as what comes from the factory. Um, but what we did was we handed over that car to Arctic Trucks, who said, oh, you do um, Arctic Expeditions, but they actually modify all vehicles for Arctic Expeditions as well. So we handed it over to them. And the idea behind it was, is how we can make um, these 39-inch wheels fit the car without creating too much um, increase in the height and keeping um, that center of gravity so we've got good weight displacement on the car. So a lot of the engineering work has gone, all, all the engineering work has gone into redesigning the wheel arch areas on the vehicle to allow the car to accommodate those 39 inch tires. And you may see, from, you'll see from the images that they're, they are small alloy wheels, but, but, but big rubber tires. And the idea behind that is um, we were operating somewhere between, anywhere between four and eight PSI of tire pressure up in the Arctic. Wow. And when you compare that to what you would run as a normal car, um, and the idea behind that is when we're on the ice and we're on, the, um, we need to displace all that weight in case the ice is really thin. Mm -hmm. But when we're in the snow, we need to be able to, you know, get good traction on that deep, thick snow, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then um, we also had our plate to protect the battery, didn't we? Yeah, so there's a, a skid plate underneath. Yeah. We had a skid plate underneath to protect the battery. And we also had those, um, what do you call them, the three bits? Yep, so we have the, the other modification that you'll see pointed, sticking out the front and the back of the car, is their, uh, their hitch points. And they, they do multiple functions. So the main function of those is to be able to jack up the car either at any angle. So you can jack up just the left-hand side to replace a left tire, for example, or you can jack up the right-hand side, or you can jack up the center of the car in case you need to work on the full underside of the car. Yeah. Um, but the other idea as well is obviously if we get stuck in deep, thick snow, which we did on occasions, the support vehicle is able to then pull us from that, um, that point at any, again at any angle. So they serve kind of a multi-purpose. So that was the only other mod major modifications made because that's going to be attached obviously to the chassis of the vehicle. Yeah. But instead of that, it's a regular area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, which is amazing in itself is having to deal with all these different environments and conditions. But um, yeah. you, you've you've mentioned a couple of things that you've had a couple of bumps and it's it's been through it's been through the ringer a little bit already. So I've, just a bit more generally speaking, I know you've been only been going for a month so far, but what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to face so far? Wow, there's, there's, there's been many, uh, just even from logistically administration, Every, everything yeah. to make this possible. I mean, uh, up in the Arctic, um, when we talk about these towns and, you know, like Cambridge Bay, Yellowknife, and for a lot of people, they they won't probably get get the perspective of it. But if if people go onto Google Maps and, and look at uh, Google Cambridge Bay and then Google Yellowknife and then just zoom out and have a look at the map, there's a huge, vast landscape of Canada, northern Canada there. And I mean, all that exists is basically a barren bit of land with lakes in between. So you're hopping from lakes to land, lakes to land, lakes to land. And that would say is probably one of our, one of my biggest challenges is the fact that we've had to traverse that land with no routes, no nothing, just a GPS coordination and cross mountains, valleys, rock gullies, boulders. rock field, rock boulder fields, you name it, we've crossed it. And no vehicle ever goes there. 
that's the thing that nobody in Canada travels that that section. So that's been a huge, huge challenge. And some of those lakes, we don't know the thickness of the ice. We know it's thick, but in some cases, we don't know just how thick. <laughs> so you're you're basically taking taking a risk every time you go onto one of those lakes because um, if the car goes on goes in, expedition over. So yeah. it's that's been a huge challenge. Yeah, and um, what else I was going to say? The battery, we had um, challenges charging the battery to full in the extreme cold up there as well. So the car charged, but it just charged very slowly. And um, I don't think we ever reached 100%. Yeah. Um, so when in the extreme, extreme cold, we maybe got 50, 60%. So it, it kind of varied because what we would do is the cold was always going to impact the battery and the charging. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of like the whole point of this project was to kind of to to test that and, and see how we can overcome that. Um, so in the early days, we we had that limitation with the getting about 57 to 62% uh, charge in the battery. Um, but then we used novel ways um, of using uh, waste heat, basically, from our water maker that, that melts snow and ice to create fresh water for us, using the excess, the excess heat from that to heat up the heat pump in the front of the vehicle mm -hmm. to then effectively you know make that operate efficiently to then put heat into the battery and then to allow the car to charge efficiently but ultimately give us more charge inside the battery and that did so what we were able to do is if we slept for six hours or eight hours for example we would be able to get the corresponding amount of charge into the car for that period we never got a hundred percent and it's because we never stopped long, long enough. enough to charge to a hundred percent yeah so yeah yeah but the solutions that we found along the way, they were just, it was novel, wasn't it? Yeah. Like I said, the water maker with the blankets over the car, we snow around the skirts of the car. Yeah, we wrapped, and... we basically, every time we stopped, we put, we piled snow up against the whole round of the outside of the car to make sure wind couldn't get underneath and chill mm -hmm. and add wind chills. So we just kind of trial and error, just thinking on the spot, seeing what we can do to improve, you know, the, the, the charging yeah. rates. And um, every time we did, it did make improvements, so it was good. I mean, it's a pioneering expedition, and, and everything we do yeah. is it's 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 learning, and it's kind of it's learning. it's finding out, and nobody can tell us what but to do because it's never been done. The biggest challenge, I think, for us was the fact that the um, the ice road was melting. I don't know if you were aware, but uh, the we in order to get back into civilization, we had to cross what we call the ice road, and the ice road's only open for a certain length of time. Um, I think due to climate change, it was um, melting a lot quicker this year. So we, in our schedule, we had a certain date, which we had planned, but um, actually it closed 10 days early, earlier than what our original schedule was going to be. So our schedule was completely compressed due to this ice road melting. So uh, we had, it was a race against time to get, to get there. back through the ice road back into civilization. So it was a case of like, yeah, charge, yeah. go, charge, go, charge, go. So it wasn't leisurely, shall yeah. we say, when we were on the return. If we didn't basically make the ice road, and we kind of, because people think, kind of go, yeah, you're just saying that, it's for effect. It's like, well, if we yeah. didn't make the ice road um, and we weren't allowed to travel on it, what that basically meant is because no vehicles go where we where we were, the only way we could extract the vehicle from there um, was by helicopter evacuation. Or From you wait until the summer comes and everything thaws, and then you can take vehicles in there to bring the vehicle out. So it basically was literally 
a race against time or again the expedition could have could have come to a halt so yeah um, and um, when we were on the ice road at that point it was already cracking it was already melting there was potholes forming it was it was it was touch and go and yeah um, it already closed at the time we were on it and luckily we managed to get dispensation to be on it but there was no support on the ice road and no cars on the ice road it was just the three vehicles and us. so in some respects it was great because we had the whole ice road to ourselves it's quiet and no chatter on the radio no other vehicles it was just us on the ice road so it was amazing drive but then <laughs> you've got the other side where well is it safe to drive because of the cracks forming and then um, we were just trying to get there as quick yeah. as we can so it's oh, it just mixed emotions every day and um, it was challenges every single day yeah. and it's it's hard to convey isn't it everything that's that's yeah. kind of gone on but um hopefully that's given you a flavor there's many more challenges we can talk about yeah. no you've painted a good enough picture and it's enough for me to say no i'm, I'm okay I'll, I'll leave that to you guys but um so you're obviously you're in Vancouver now and you, you've been going for a month, but what, what's next for, for you guys now? What, where's the, the sort of the roadmap to when you eventually reach your, your final destination in December? What, which countries are you going to tick off on the way through? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's very little countries we're not going to tick off. I mean, from here, we, we head into North America and we've got a couple of quite a few engagement uh, projects in North America with, uh, with schools and, and some of our partners um and various other projects kind of going on there and then from there we 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 pick up the pan-american highway in mexico so we travel into mexico um and pick up the pan-american highway and travel through central america so pretty much every country in central america will will travel through so guatemala honduras um costa rica panama um and then we drop into south america and we stick to the west coast with again with the pan-american highway so uh, one of there's many many highlights along that way until we get down to Ushuaia for the southern tip of uh, Argentina, but I'm, one of the things here with the parallels we crossed the Rockies here in Canada, which was just a stunning drive to do, mm. and then we're going to go and cross the Andes in in uh, Chile um, into Argentina, and that's just going to be another incredible parallel between these this this journey. But I guess when we hit Ushuaia, we then look across to Antarctica, where we kind of go well we've not stopped because that's our next our next destination before we uh, we finish this this amazing expedition so it's um it's it's going to be a, a, another amazing nine months yeah. for sure and, and can we hope you know we to inspire others to um look at our journey and then just show how exciting electric vehicle adventuring yeah. can be you know and and um, the good that it can do in the world by you know going EV as well mm. and and the kind of experiences that you have as you travel and um it is quite a unique way of of travel but we hope like you say we can inspire others and educate others along the way and i think that's our mission is to share our story educate learn and educate and um just do a little bit for uh for making our world a cleaner yeah i think to live in. All, we're, all we're trying to do with this is we, we do say to people is like we're just we're just a husband and wife team from aberdeen that are just trying to basically do yeah share share the knowledge yeah absolutely and just, so just to finish up then and just off the back of that i, I was just wondering as someone who uh, that you've lived and breathed electric vehicles for like you say 10 years now and you're, you're on this mammoth expedition so what would you what would your message be to one of those sort of old school petrol heads that doesn't quite buy into electric vehicles and say oh you you can't go very far and then they take ages to charge and they're not for me what would you what would your message be to to someone like that off, off the back of all of this I guess from from my perspective it's, it's always been it's just 
don't don't essentially diss the technology unless you until you've tried it. It's kind of I, I was I was an old I was uh, I still am a petrol head in that sense. I mean I still love cars and I still appreciate yeah. them. So it's kind of it's saying just go give the technology a try. You it will you will be surprised. Um, and again about you know the objection about driving long journeys. We take things to the extreme. So we prove that long journeys are possible. Um, and whether you've got charging infrastructure or you don't, um, but it's kind of like saying it's like think about your daily life. I mean, until I did this, I probably did one long journey a year, maybe not even one a year, mm. one every two years. So the reality is, the car will do what you need to do from day to day. If you do need that long journey and you're still not convinced, then that once a year, go and hire a car. You know, you've offset you've offset all the all the emissions and everything from having an EV for a year and driving it so many miles that then that's that's not so much of an issue then. Yeah, and and you know we can we understand that EVs are not for everybody's lifestyle, so it all really depends on on each individual and their personal circumstances. But I do feel if ninety nine percent of your driving is within this, the city or your small town, and you know EVs are at a point now where it's more than capable, yes. uh, isn't it? Then um, yeah, just just give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a try and um, research all the benefits of electric vehicle driving because there's just so many and um, and you know one of them is obviously a lot less a lot less mechanical moving parts as well, which means it's less susceptible to breaking down. And we experienced that in the Arctic, didn't we? I I find it more of a relaxing drive as well. It is. I mean, yeah, you know, I don't know. You you obviously. Yeah. You're an EV journalist, yeah. so you know we don't need to convince you, but you know all the benefits of EV driving. Mm -hmm. So, so um, and we have lots of friends and family who have switched to EV and they love it and they won't go back. You know, so yeah, just give it a try. I think I think the overall I mean, a long kind of answer there, but I think the overall message is kind of don't diss until you've tried it. Give it a go. Just give it a go, and you will be surprised. That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening. And if you liked it, then please do check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you get every single episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Everything EV podcast.